You can now get two free audiobook downloads and a 30-day free trial at audible.pagosity.tv. Your choice from the world's largest selection of over 180,000 digital audiobooks and spoken word content for your iOS or Android device, Kindle, or MP3 player. Go to audible.pagosity.tv now. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of May 21st, 2017. The podcast that knows how many holes it takes to fill the Albert Hall. This is your host, Shane Killian, and returning this week is Chris Hangartner. Welcome back, Chris. Hello there. Before we get going, I just want to give everyone a quick update to let you know that Chelsea Manning is free. And judging by the pics she posted to Twitter, looking good. What was the guy's name before he became Chelsea? Yeah, he got a sex changed. Bradley. Bradley, yeah. Bradley Manning, yeah. But whatever, a, a lot nicer looking than Caitlyn Jenner, I can tell you that. Yeah, sorry, Bruce, but you're still ugly. <laughs> you weren't even pretty as a man. So best of luck to you, Chelsea, and remember, allegitimi non carborundum. Let's deinvigorate the news of the bogus. Big scandal that hardly anyone seems to be talking about, probably because Trump isn't involved. <laughs> Florida Congresswoman Corinne Brown has been convicted of operating phony charities and siphoning off the money into her personal accounts. Oh, Jesus. She and her chief of staff took over $800,000 from One Door for Education, a charity that she had passed off as a scholarship. These include things like a $750 birthday cake for her daughter. <laughs> yeah. How do you spend $750 on a birthday cake? Yeah, unless you went to, yeah, unless you went to like those cake wars people. The amount that was actually used for education, $1200. And I agree with you. The only reason the news media is not going on is because Trump's not involved. Yeah, well, she's a Democrat. She's black. She's, you know. Yeah. Brown was charged with 22 counts, including seven counts of wire fraud, five of mail fraud, one conspiracy, and three falsifying tax returns. She was convicted of 18. Damn. And this isn't the first time she's done something like this. In 1998... She was brought before the House Ethics Committee about an unreported $10,000 she received from the National Baptist Convention. <laughs> that same year, the FEC admonished her for forging her campaign treasurer's name on campaign reports. Aye. And she also worked to secure the release of a Gambian millionaire convicted of bribery after he gave her a luxury car. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? Uh, prosecutors described her as an egotistical politician living beyond her means. I guess her 152000 a year congressional pension just wasn't enough for her. Oh, yeah, that's... that's... She's going to keep receiving that, by the way, at least until her appeals are exhausted. All these statists, you know, are always bragging about how, oh, the government doesn't have enough money, and we don't want to cut the military or the schools and all that. It's like, okay, fine, then. Why not cut your own salaries? This isn't even her salary, this is her pension. What do you expect, people? It's another crooked politician. Say, if you're tired of the promos in this podcast, well, the patrons got it early and with no ads or promos. Just go to patreon.bogosity.tv and donate at any level. We seem to be covering a lot of stories lately from hideously unconstitutional behavior from Customs and Border Patrol, and they really seem to be showing their true colors. Aaron Gock relented and unlocked his phone, 
so CBP could go through it. When asked about this growing number of searches by Ars Technica, they responded with a long statement that didn't actually say why these searches were taking place. Ah, just like Franz Kafka's The Trial. Keep that in mind as we go through this conversation. You'll find it very Kafkaesque. Gok, interestingly, is a political activist with groups like Greenpeace and Copwatch. He claims he agreed to unlock the phone under, quote, psychological duress coming off 20 hours of travel. So here's how ours reported it, quote, Immediately after stepping off the jetway and into the terminal, Gok thought that something strange was happening. All passengers were being required to show their passports well before clearing customs to enter the United States. Once Gok arrived at a CBP checkpoint and had his passport scanned, he was told to move to secondary screening. There his passport was taken and he was told to wait. He was specifically told not to use his phone. He was escorted over to a small desk where an agent began peppering him with questions. Gok recalled a surveillance camera mounted above and behind him, possibly with the aim of capturing the screen of any device he produced. Sorry for the inconvenience, the agent told him. We should have you out of here in just a moment. I hope you won't mind if we just ask a few questions. According to Gok, the agent asked numerous basic questions. What is your name? Can you spell that? Despite seemingly already knowing the answers, he held Gok's passport in front of him. As his interrogatory continued, the questions got more and more detailed. Did you book your own travel? Who booked the travel? And your apartment? He responded to all the questions. After a few minutes, the agent asked, can we check your phone to verify the info you provided? This, Gok recalled, was a crucial moment. He asked to see the written policies authorizing their actions, which took some extra time to produce. The agent was not overly aggressive, but remained assertive. Is there a problem with my travel arrangements? Gok asked. I'm sorry, but I can't provide the details, the agent replied. Is there a concern about the arts venue? I can't really say at the moment. What is it you want to check on my phone? Is it something in particular that I can just show you? We're looking for information pertinent to our investigation. Do I have a choice in the matter? What are my rights in this situation? As a U.S. citizen, don't I have equal protections under the Constitution, regardless of whether or not I am in an airport or outside of one? Now listen to what they said in response. I understand your concerns, and I'm hoping we can get you on your way as soon as possible. Of course you have a choice, but we can also be dicks and just take your phone as part of our investigations if we see fit. Your phone and its contents are part of your personal effects, which are subject to examination when crossing any border into the U.S. That doesn't sound like much of a choice. What happens if I choose not to unlock my phone? We can detain your phone and any personal effects needed to assist in our investigation. So then, of course, they ask the question they always seem to get to. Is there any reason in particular why you don't want to turn over your phone? I believe strongly in the Constitution and in my right to privacy, Gok replied. I have nothing to hide, but the only way I know if I actually have any rights is if I try to exercise them. But it sounds like I don't actually have those protections in this situation. Once Gok handed the phone over, the agents took it out of his sight for several minutes before returning it and thanking him. The entire interaction, from the time he was sent to secondary to the time he could leave, lasted about 90 minutes. Gok said, quote, when the CBP takes that oath of office to follow the Constitution and tells you that you don't have the Fourth Amendment at San Francisco Airport, that raises huge questions for me. The Fourth Amendment is one sentence, and it's pretty clear. It also says something about the places to be searched and the things to be seized. What's the specific area that's being searched? In the case of the CBP, there's none of that. I read the Fourth Amendment, 
And I don't find the justification to have that authoritarian overreach. They don't, but they'll find a way around it. Yep. So it might be an idea to take a burner phone with you when you travel overseas. Oh, but that's proof that you're definitely hiding something. Yeah. Do you have children? Or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling? Or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttletwins, and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary-aged children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain, or regulations passed in the name of safety, and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. We covered the case of Troy Davis, an innocent man convicted based on witnesses who were pressured by police and later recanted and executed in Georgia in 2011 because he couldn't positively prove his innocence. Last time I recall correctly, is it supposed to be the other way around? Yep. Yeah, the guy's supposed to be 100% innocent until you can prove that he's 100% guilty. As well as Cameron Todd Willingham, an innocent man executed in Texas in 2004, even though there's no possible way the fire he was accused of setting could have been set. Well, now Arkansas has one that they can record with their high and worthy deeds. Liddell Lee was arrested in 1993 for the murder of Deborah Reese, a crime for which he professed his innocence up until his execution. He had trouble finding lawyers to fight for him, dealing with drunk, conflicted, and grossly incompetent attorneys. None of them went with the actual evidence, which showed the murder scene drenched in blood, yet not a speck on Lee, fingerprint evidence that was no match, an outright refusal to do DNA testing, they all ended up asking to withdraw solely because Lee kept telling them he was innocent. Yeah. But I mean, this is how it is with public defenders. I mean, they're really agents of the state and they're not interested at all in your story or whether you're even innocent. The sad truth about the whole, if you do not have a lawyer, one will be provided for you. The problem is that those public lawyers... I've actually heard they're not the best, and many people say that they're horrible. And further, none of his defense lawyers had hired a psychologist to test his intellectual disability, and no court was at all bothered by the fact that a member of the prosecution team was having an affair with the trial judge at the time. Oh, wow. Why am I not surprised? I mean, any one of those aspects should have been enough for at least a stay of execution. Yet, even with all of them together, none of them moved the courts or the governor to spare his life. You know, screw a stay of execution. I'd let that guy free and put the prosecutor and the governor in the chair. Well, the problem was, Governor Hutchinson was setting arbitrary execution dates for eight convicts based on the availability of their lethal injection drugs. They were scheduled quickly solely because their stock of drugs expired on April 30th. Hey, 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 Governor, I have an idea about how you can avoid all that problem. Don't have the death penalty. Put the guy in, and if he's innocent, well, he has the rest of his life to prove he's innocent. 
And by the way, pro death penalty people, contrary to popular belief, it is not more expensive for life sentences. It is several times more expensive to execute someone. And it's not a deterrent either. Oh yeah. And his new defense team didn't even have time to get his medical records from the prison because of the fast-tracked executions. Nobody gives a shit about justice anymore. It's all about how many people I can throw in prison, and in some states it's even about how many people they executed. They finally had Lee tested the week before his execution, and the results showed him ineligible for execution due to severe intellectual disability. Both state and federal courts dismissed this and other arguments because, ah, uh, they're just the last-minute ploy to extend his execution beyond the April 30th expiration date so we can't execute him. That's it's just a ploy. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, I'm not the guy saying that we should kill a human being. Yeah. I honestly wonder... Are some of these prosecutors and federal agents borderline psychopaths because not only are they okay with execution, some of them take pride in how many inmates they execute. Oh yeah, it's crazy. Makes me wonder, should I be afraid of this guy? Like, should I keep my pets and young children away from him? A lot of psychopaths are very charismatic and can get people to support them, and some of those prosecutors are. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government sensors. It's essential in this day and age. So go to vpn.bogosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. So we've covered several times why violent video games are in no way to blame for real-world violence, including the mass shootings they so often get blamed for. Now, Division 46 of the American Psychological Association has released a statement saying it is irresponsible to even suggest such a link. I can't believe they're still talking about that. That was thoroughly debunked in the 90s. Quote, Criminologists who study mass homicides in their analyses of such crimes have either excluded the issue of video games or explicitly referred to links between violent games and mass homicides as a myth. Yep. Yet, very commonly, after young males commit high-profile acts of violence, politicians and news media may speculatively link such crimes to violent video games or other violent media. Such claims are not based on research evidence, and these claims may distract society from more substantive causes of violence, such as poverty, lack of treatment options for mental health, as well as crime victimization among the mentally ill, and education and employment disparities. The thing that's even worse is that some people say mentally ill people should not be allowed to own firearms, and they have to be locked up in a state mental institute. And I'm just like, what? Well, I mean, we've talked about before how people with mental illnesses are actually less likely to commit acts of violence, but several times as likely to be victims of violence. Yeah, it's like, so you don't care about mentally ill people? You just see us as animals that need to be locked up in cages? So they do a good job of reviewing all the evidence, and they give their citations, and they say, quote, 
by attending to only those cases that fit the assumption that violent media exposure is universal among criminal perpetrators and ignoring those cases that conflict with this narrative, the perception of a correlation can take hold where no such correlation exists. Yep. This selective reporting may create the impression that there is suitable evidence to link violence and media consumption despite the non-existence of any clear evidence. Lay people whose only source of information on this topic is the media are particularly susceptible to believing this narrative. Selective attention may also fail to observe that the correlation between youth violence and violent video game use in society is an inverse one, with youth violence declining by over 80% during the decades in which violent game use soared. These days, just about every child, both boys and girls, plays video games. Discovering that a young crime perpetrator also happened to play violent video games is no more illustrative than discovering that they happened to wear sneakers or used to watch Sesame Street. Oh, yeah. And I think all the regular listeners will recognize this as the fallacy of post-hoc ergo propter hoc. Yeah, here's another good example. One of the Columbine shooters, he was into poetry. Does that mean anyone who likes poetry is going to be a violent killer? Quote, Further, there have been several shooters who were initially linked to playing violent games yet upon investigative review were found to be minimal consumers. These include the perpetrator of the 2007 mass shooting on the Virginia Tech campus who was found to have no notable exposure to violent games despite initial claims to the contrary and the perpetrator of the 2012 mass shooting on the Sandy Hook Elementary campus who, although he was reported to have several outdated action-oriented games in his home, was reported by witnesses to mainly play non-violent games such as Dance Dance Revolution. If I recall correctly, I read an interview with people who knew Adam Lazan, and they said that the early science, although granted it's not a guarantee that something might have been up, was that he was kind of obsessed with history, and he was in particular obsessed with bloody history, like he would talk about the Holocaust, but still, that's not a sign. Well, God, look at how much we talk about the Civil War in our hangouts. Yeah. They all seem to come around to that sooner or later. Probably because the Civil War is a common reason why a lot of people say, that's why we need to have the state. How are we going to prevent those racist Southerners from defecting and using that as an excuse to torture people, which, by the way, they didn't do in real life. Well, and it's just so rich in all sorts of lessons you can learn from it from both sides. Yeah, I mean, there's actually a really good quote that said, World War I never would have happened if Europe had paid attention to the U.S. Civil War. Yep. They conclude, quote, Public officials, news media, and scholarly organizations such as APA would do well to focus on scientifically valid substantive causes of violence ranging from poverty to mental health issues to educational and social disparities. Focusing on video games or other media can distract from real causes of violence and do harm. That's actually why more rules is actually going to lead to more crime is because you're so obsessed looking through every single little detail that the big thing's going to fly right by you. Quote, News media would benefit from remembering that discovering a young male perpetrator of a crime also happened to play violent video games or watch violent movies is not remarkable given the commonness of such media use among young males. Such disclosures should not be treated as significant or as causes. I mean, not that it'll stop them if it bleeds, it leads. I'm all for freedom of the press, but seriously, the mainstream news media, something needs to be done about those people, you know?
We live in a world where light bulbs connect to the Internet, and recent attacks on them prove that your online security is under threat like never before. Not only your websites, but the Internet-enabled devices you buy. And the biggest problem is weak passwords. That's why you need LastPass. LastPass allows you to randomly generate strong, unique passwords on the web and on your Internet-enabled devices, all protected by one master password. LastPass sets up in minutes and gives you secure automatic logins throughout the web, synchronizing across all your browsers, all your computers, and even your mobile devices, at home, at work, or on the road. It even securely stores sensitive form data, including credit card numbers, backup sensitive documents, software licenses, Wi-Fi logins, and more. And with LastPass Premium, you can get these benefits on other applications, manage passwords for your entire family, and also get priority customer support. Sign up at password.bogosity.tv for a free month of LastPass Premium. Log in securely everywhere using the last password you'll ever have to remember. Go to password.bogosity.tv and get LastPass now. And now it's time to devaricate this week's biggest bogan emitter. And this week it goes to fake news outlet NPR, who just couldn't resist jumping on the anti-WikiLeaks bandwagon the other fake news outlets are on, and even cranking it up to 11. Their main claim was that WikiLeaks posted 9 gigabytes of data, supposedly from French presidential candidate Emmanuel Macron's campaign data, but a lot of it was fake, Therefore, WikiLeaks is fake and can't be trusted, and my Hillary should be Prez! Okay, they didn't say that last part, but you know they were thinking it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but that's the only reason for all this recent anti-WikiLeaks furor. The thing is, none of that is true. Someone else put the 9 gigabytes of data on Pastebin, and WikiLeaks tweeted, quote, alleged multi-gigabyte Team Macron email archives could be a 4chan practical joke we are examining. Yep, but they ignore that little detail. Yep. But this is just part of the latest trend, like multiple BBEIE winner and fake news paranoiac Rachel Maddow. We didn't cover this at the time since we had even more bogus things to talk about, but she told her audience last month that RT, that's Russia Today, knew about the WikiLeaks Podesta email drop before it happened, which is ridiculous. They reported on it, before WikiLeaks tweeted about it, but only after it was posted to the main WikiLeaks site. In other words, they were just paying attention. And that had all been sorted out at the time that it happened, but that didn't stop Manow from bringing it back up a month later. Yeah, the mainstream media is always warning about fake news, and I'm just like, you're the pots calling the kettles black. So WikiLeaks tweeted a response to NPR, quote, NPR is not a credible news organization. One. WikiLeaks did not publish hashtag MacronLeaks. 2. So far, only Macron claims fake docs, but names none. NPR responded saying they had corrected the implication, except it wasn't an implication. They didn't imply it. They stated it outright. They reported as fact that WikiLeaks had posted 9 gigabytes of data and reported as fact that a lot of it was known to be fake. That's not an implication. So WikiLeaks responded, quote, That's retraction or correction, NPR, not clarification, and normally followed by an apology for misleading 7 million people. Of course, no apology was forthcoming, not even a half-hearted mistakes were made. 
So that makes NPR this week's Biggest Bogum Emitter. If you're going to shop online, use our special links to shop at Amazon. Clear your cookies and go to Amazon.Bogosity.tv, and you won't pay a penny more for your purchase. If you haven't used the mobile app in the last 12 months, or even at all, go to get5.bogosity.tv on your phone or tablet and get $5 off your order of $10 or more. Go to prime.bogosity.tv for a free 30-day trial of Amazon Prime and enjoy thousands of movies and TV episodes, borrowed Kindle books, and get unlimited two-day shipping for free. And speaking of Kindle, go to kindle.bogosity.tv for a 30-day free trial to Kindle Unlimited, read over 1 million books, and listen to thousands of audiobooks on any device. You can go to music.bogosity.tv and get a free 30-day trial of Amazon Music Unlimited with access to Amazon's entire library of 10 million songs, ad-free and with unlimited skips, and even download to listen offline. All great ways to help this podcast simply by shopping at Amazon. And now let's anti-disestablish this week's and this week, blame the first nominated Ben Tarnoff of The Guardian for publishing an article entitled, America has become so anti-innovation, it's economic suicide. <laughs> yeah, I was reading that article, and it was so stupid. I mean, I know we're going to talk about it later, but like his whole argument is, oh, I found a product that was scamming me. That proves America sucks. Yeah, one company. Juicero. It's a device where you can put in a packet of diced fruits and vegetables, and the machine squeezes it and gets juice from it. Turns out, you can do the same thing just by squeezing the packet, and in fact, that way is actually faster. Yeah, and apparently the machine costs $400, and a lot of people are saying, well, this is a scam. It's like, well... Okay, yeah, there's a lot of products on the market that are scans, but why do we need the government to stop products like that? All you gotta do is tell people don't buy the product on social media. I wouldn't even call it a scam. I would just say it doesn't work very well. Yeah. But, I mean, it does what it's advertised to do. Yeah. But what does that mean? Well, according to Tarnoff, quote, It also reflects the deeply unfunny truth about Silicon Valley and our economy more broadly. Juicero is not, as its apologists at Vox claim, an anomaly in an otherwise innovative investment climate. On the contrary, it's yet another example of how profoundly anti-innovation America has become. Oh yeah, and how's that NHS working for you? <laughs> Innovation drives economic growth. It boosts productivity, making it possible to create more wealth with less labor. When economies don't innovate, the result is stagnation, inequality, and the whole horizon of hopelessness that has come to define the lives of most working people today. Juicero isn't just an entertaining bit of Silicon Valley stupidity, it's the sign of a country committing economic suicide. Oh yeah, that's easy for you to say when your own country denied a toddler the right to have this experimental genome therapy which would have saved his life. Well, actually, this reporter's from San Francisco. He's just posting it on The Guardian, which is a British newspaper, but... Oh, okay. But still, you know, America has a lot of faults, but we are still innovating, you know. The day when a nation is committing innovation and economic suicide is not when we see bogus products like this hit the market. It's when we have people like you telling the government, we need to get involved in all this, and the government says, okay, we're going to prevent this, so we're going to pass all these rules so no one's allowed to innovate because why bother? Check this out, quote... Entrepreneurs typically make terrible innovators. Left to its own devices, 
The private sector is far more likely to impede technological progress than to advance it. <laughs> oh, sorry, I just... I have to laugh at that. This guy clearly does not understand history. That's because real innovation is very expensive to produce. It involves pouring extravagant sums of money into research projects that may fail, or at the very least may never yield a commercially viable product. In other words, it requires a lot of risk, something that, myth-making aside, capitalist firms have little appetite for. <laughs> Buddy... You gotta sit down and read a history book, because here's the thing. 90% of all the stuff we do was invented by entrepreneurs. And don't give me that whole bullcrap, well, the government invented the internet or we went into outer space. Here's another thing that they don't tell you. Almost all the equipment the astronauts were using in the space program were invented by private companies. You know what? I think I'm gonna dig up Blame the First's article he wrote with this on Medium.com, because he actually goes into the internet thing, which... We've talked about before, I don't have it in my notes, but he does a good debunking of that. Conventional wisdom says that market forces foster innovation. In fact, it's the government's insulation from market forces that has historically made it such a successful innovator. It doesn't have to compete, and it's not at the mercy of investors demanding a share of its profits. That's actually why the government is so bad is because it has no competition. You know, listen here, buddy. The way reality works is that the reason why companies are always coming up with new technological innovations is because if they don't, another guy will come around and invent something better and they're going to get left behind. The government, on the other hand, doesn't go out of business, so they could care less if a new technological advantage comes up. Hell, there's actually been proof that a lot of our computers for the Defense Department, they're still those old 90s modems. Now, if you're wondering where this guy is getting his economic data from, well, he doesn't have any. I'm linking to a graphic I made years earlier for a video where I do a scatter plot. The innovation index is on one axis, and the economic freedom score is on another. It is absolutely correlated with free markets with an R-squared of 0.47. This idea that markets don't innovate but government does is just so laughably wrong, it's embarrassing for both Tarnoff and The Guardian. I actually once met a statist and all that who said, but look at Australia. Australia is more economic prosperous, and yet they have all these laws and all that. It's pretty funny because I looked it up and, yeah, they are above the United States, but they're still below other countries that don't have those laws. In fact, I remember seeing an update and shortly after Australia passed all those economic laws, its position actually went down. I think they're like number five now or something and they were number three. Yeah, and seriously, this guy has no data? Who made him a freaking journalist? Journalists don't need data. What do you think they're doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's government that gets in the way of innovation. And a good example of that is Elon Musk. I mean, he's just an absolute refutation of everything this guy's saying, pouring all sorts of money into reusable rockets, solar roofs that work a lot better than the ones the government has funded, yep. electric cars, again, better than the ones government has funded, mm -hmm. and a revolutionary high-speed train that can travel faster than an airplane by going through a very low-pressure tube while being more energy efficient, and even an underground car tunnel to potentially alleviate traffic jams. Oh, but Shane, we can't fund the Hyperloop because Thunderfoot says it's dangerous. Yeah. But I mean, if anything, government is hampering all of this, like the Hyperloop and the car tunnel. There are all these burdensome regulations and bureaucracy, uh, things like you know land acquisition and things like that. In all probability, India will get a Hyperloop before the U.S. Yep. And like we talked about, 
the sale of Tesla cars. Tesla wants to sell cars directly to the consumer. Government keeps getting in the way of that. But Shane, we gotta protect the people. How are you protecting people by denying them access to goods or services that could make their lives a heck of a lot easier, and in the case of medical innovation, could possibly save their life? Well, that's true of the Tesla, too. You know, the driverless features of the car make it a lot safer. Yeah, and how come a, a guy who has stage 4 terminal brain cancer, you know, can't try out this experimental treatment that might prolong his life, even possibly save him? So if America is anti-innovation, it's because of government bureaucracy, not the free market. Yeah! But let's go back to that innovation index I mentioned. America currently ranks number four behind the UK, Sweden, and Switzerland, and ahead of many other countries like Finland, Denmark, Netherlands, and Canada. We may not be number one, but only a moron could say we're anti-innovation. Yeah, perfectly good example is India. Here's the thing, there's really smart Indians. In fact, some of the biggest tech companies were founded by Indians, but they were founded in America. You know, I mean, a lot of people like to think that, well, America is richer than us because we have more smart people or whatnot. Well, then how come all these people who are smart in their native homelands, they have to come to America or Switzerland to get their ideas off the ground? That's always how it worked. Look at history. Look at how many inventors came here from somewhere else. Yeah, and going back to World War II, one of the reasons why Germany didn't have access to all their powerful super weapons was because everyone was coming to America, including some famous scientists, because they were Jewish. Yep, the brain drain. Yep. So that's why Ben Tarnoff takes this week well, that wraps up this That's the Sort of Place This Is. A lot of sexy people not doing much work and having affairs edition of the Bogosity Podcast. Come join the discussion at forum.bogosity.tv and feel free to send a question, statement, news article, or rant in text or audio to podcast at bogosity.tv. This podcast depends on you to keep going, so please donate using the links on the website or the QR codes in the thumbnail or become a patron at patreon.bogosity.tv and get the podcast and YouTube videos early and without ads or promos. Thank you for listening, and thanks to Chris Hangartner for joining me. Yep, it's good to be back. Until next time, here's a quote from Newton Lee. The enormous amount of financial resources and creative energy that nations have spent on wars and weapons could have been redirected to curing deadly diseases, feeding the hungry, eliminating poverty, promoting art and culture, investing in renewable clean energy, and solving a host of other important challenges facing humanity. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial and Derivatives 4.0 International License. Want answers to creationist claims against evolution? Would you like to know more about evolution yourself, or even engage creationists more directly, with actual peer-reviewed sources to back you up? My book, How Evolution is Scientific, is designed to show the basics of evolutionary theory and how it is so well supported using the scientific method. It's impeccably sourced, with references to the actual scientific material, and is arranged using the creationists' own criteria of what is scientific. Using their own arguments against them, see how evolution is scientific, but creationism is not, based on observations, accurate predictions, logic, and evidence. Get answers to common creationist claims, and even a primer on abiogenesis, the start of all life. 
It's all in my book, How Evolution is Scientific, available at Amazon and on Kindle, EPUB, and PDF as well. Get How Evolution is Scientific and never be taken in by creationists again. Yeah, going back to that quote that guy said, this kind of reminds me of this conversation I once had with a pro-communist who was talking about, well, look at all these innovations that the Soviet Union did, like Sputnik. Yeah, but compare Sputnik to some of the satellites that the United States launched, most of which were invented by private companies. Yeah, Sputnik may have been the first, but anyone who's actually looked at it, Sputnik and even Sputnik 2, were completely inferior to Explorer 1. All they really were, were radio devices that went beep. Yeah. And people were speculating about, oh, what does it mean? What's it doing? It's not transmitting. It's not. It's going beep. That's all it's doing. You want to know something funny? Sputnik didn't get a lot of attention in the Soviet Union. I actually remember reading somewhere that the average Soviet citizen, when they heard about Sputnik, the initial reaction was, oh, that's cool. But when are we going to get our food? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I actually heard from a guy who was from the Soviet Union who said his family found Sputnik more insulting than they did innovative because it's like, wait a minute, we've got all these people in the Soviet Union. They're starving. They don't have access to basic equipment. And what does our oh-so-kind party spend all their money on? A giant little piece of metal in outer space that goes beep. At least Explorer 1 did something. Yeah, if a Democrat steals money from people, eh, nobody gives a damn. If Trump even talks to a Russian diplomat, oh, he's colluding with Russia. Yep, so we have to get him on the Logan Act, which absolutely no one has been prosecuted for in the entire 218-year yeah. history of the Act because it's so unconstitutional, no one will even try it. Yeah, there was actually this really painful, I think it was a Stephen Colbert, they were making a joke about Michael Flynn, you know, where Trump was saying, you know, I think Michael Flynn was a good guy, and um, he's like, yeah, and I think Russia and Turkey will agree with you. It's like... Why? He talked to Turkish people and some uh, Russians because, I don't know, he was at the time the Secretary of State? You see, I grew up at the tail end of the Cold War, and the President and the Premier of the Soviet Union actually had a special phone line set up between the White House and the Kremlin yeah, so that they could talk to each other whenever they wanted to. Yeah, that was in response to the Cuban Missile Crisis, which was largely caused because the Soviet Union and the Americans just didn't want to talk to each other. And it was resolved by they they did talk to each other. Yeah. Kennedy and Khrushchev. Yeah. And Khrushchev was like one of the most unreasonable people on the planet stubborn, hot-tempered, and it even worked sending down talking with him. They can work with freaking Khrushchev. They're actually already talking about impeaching Donald Trump and, uh, you know... Of course. Yeah, that's... I even like how there was one guy when they were reporting the news on the whole impeachment, there was one guy that says, look, I don't like Trump either, I hate Trump, but let's be honest here, people. What has he done that's no worse than any other president? <laughs> 